In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear brothers and seminarians, dear faithful, of all the dangers that we have in this life, and there are many dangers, there is one that we are quite likely to overlook, and that is not a good thing. It's dangerous to overlook dangers. Dangers are things that we have to address. We have to notice them. Um, they're like time bombs. They're, they're, they're there, and, and unless you're, you defuse the time bomb, unless you do something to defuse the time bomb, it will go off and cause great destruction. And so the danger that we often do not sufficiently look out for is what we may call the danger of the ordinary. And what I mean by this is that there is a particular characteristic of our human nature, it's almost like a law, that ordinary things, over time, because we become habituated to them, lose their value. Unless we do something to correct this natural sort of entropy where ordinary things lose their value, we will lose appreciation for them. Ordinary things tend to become monotonous, tedious, and so odious for us. And this is a, an enormous danger for us because of the fact that the ordinary things of our life are the most important things of our life. The ordinary things of our life are the most profound things of our life, the things that we must hold on to for dear life. If we lose these ordinary things, we lose the meaning of our life. If day by day you are losing appreciation for the most important things of your life because they are ordinary, then you are in danger of abandoning those things. What are those ordinary things? Well, first of all, there are loved ones, the people we live with. Um, the, the husband, the wife, the children, uh, our family, uh, the people closest to us. They're ordinary because we're with them every single day of our life. Yet they are the most important people in our lives. Our fate and their fate are tied together irrevocably. You know how it is when a, when a future husband and wife are, are boyfriend and girlfriend they are completely fascinated with one another. They cannot get enough of one another's presence. And because of this infatuation, they decide to marry. They decide to make a lifelong commitment. Well, they will live with one another for, for the rest of their lives. And then the years go by. And over time, their enthusiasm for one another wanes. They become tired of each other's presence. They realize that it's not easy to live with someone day in, day out for an entire lifetime. The husband becomes exhausted with the mannerisms and the imperfections of his wife. The wife can no longer tolerate the behavior of her husband. And as the days go by, the situation becomes more and more dangerous. The spouses no longer appreciate the solemn promises that they have made to one another, and in a sense, the promises which precisely give that profound meaning to their life, that commitment that they made on the day of their wedding, defines 
the profundity of their life. And the love and enthusiasm of their courtship seems to be a distant dream. Those aspects of the spouses used to be so charming and loving now are only capable of causing annoyance. And in this situation, as in all situations of monotonous ordinariness, the spouses began to long for novelty, some change in the situation that will deliver them from this routine, this daily grind of their lives. Their daily situation has become intolerable, and they're almost in a panic to escape. The exact same thing can happen with our religion. And that's the second thing that I would like to point out that is often very ordinary in our life, but also extremely important, crucial for the meaning of our life. In his book, Spiritual Conferences, Father Faber has um, a chapter entitled The Monotony of Piety. And his purpose is to speak about how boring the spiritual life can become and how it's a big danger that when the spiritual life becomes monotonous, we abandon uh, our appreciation for spiritual things. He says some deny that the spiritual life is monotonous, but he says they're not being genuine. For himself, he will readily admit that the pious life is a life that's full of ordinariness and all the attendant dangers of ordinariness. I will freely confess, he says, that I know nothing in the world to which I can compare for monotony the occasional drag of a pious life. We can get tired of mass. We can get tired of our rosary. We can get tired of the seminary. We can get tired of doing the Catholic thing day in, day out. Our nature can be in a state of rebellion because of the relentlessness of it all. Because it's just the same thing day in, day out. And when we have this feeling, our nature again starts to cry out for an escape. Often the escape that it asks for is some gratification of our senses, some sort of sensual indulgence, some thrill that we believe will bring back to us the zest, the spice in our life. We want something spicy. And so we look often for some sensual pleasure, some entertainment that we feel will relieve, maybe even definitively in our, in our naivety, we feel that it will relieve this oppressiveness of the ordinariness of our life. And this is a very, very dangerous state. This is my point. This is the temptation. We, what happens when in, in, in this temptation, if we start to give into it, is we, we lose touch of the value of things. We lose the ability to judge things at their proper value. We're no longer able to judge our loved ones as being the most valuable things in our lives. We're no longer able to judge our Catholic faith as being the most valuable thing in our life. And what happens is the, the scales of value start to be equalized. We begin to see everything as being of the same value. Basically very, very little value. You see that the meaning of life is sort of draining out. 
Everything is just becoming the same drab, gray picture for us. And as I say, we begin to look for very superficial things as a remedy when these superficial things are only going to aggravate the problem. They're not going to help the problem. They're going to continue this process of draining the meaning out of our life. And this is what was going on with the Israelites in the desert. All these episodes that St. Paul brings up today in the epistle. These Israelites were out in the desert and there's not a lot to do in the desert. If you're just out there day after day staring at sand, right? you tend to get a bit bored. So the Israelites were out there. They were getting a bit bored of their religion that had been given to them by God. Its practices had been instituted by God. And they were dissatisfied with the religion that God had given them. They wanted to spice it up. They found their religion too boring. And so what they did when Moses was in the mountain for 40 days, they decided that their religion was not interesting enough, and so they would start imitating the pagan religions, which they saw as being much more exciting. They, as you know, um, made for themselves a golden calf, and they organized an orgy. In another episode, when God was raining manna down from heaven day after day, can you imagine God raining food down for you every single day? They got tired of the food. They said, this food, we're having to eat the same food every single day. And they sat down and they moaned and they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt for free. The cucumbers come into our mind and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Our soul is dry. Our eyes behold nothing else but manna. They were getting sick of their religion. They were getting sick of God, their God, because it was ordinary. Just by the fact that it was ordinary, it was the same thing. So because they could no longer appreciate the gifts of God, because they could no longer appreciate their religion, many of them ended up losing their religion and so losing their souls. With many of them, God was not well pleased. Every single one of us in this life has this temptation of ordinariness, this temptation to devalue the most important and the most profound things in our life because we are bored with them. And those who are superficial, they give into the temptation by seeking thrills. And if they continue to, we may say, try to appease the dryness of their soul by sensual entertainments, they eventually will abandon the most important things in their lives and they will commit themselves to a purely selfish existence wherein they will never ever be satisfied and they will be living, living on the superficial level for the rest of their lives. But those who are not superficial, they find ways continually throughout the course of their life to appreciate once more the things that are the best and also the most ordinary things in their life. They find new reasons for loving these ordinary things. This struggle that human beings have with ordinariness is interestingly addressed in several 
20th century literary works that were written by Catholic authors. Um, you know, the people of our age are, in many respects, the most superficial people that have ever existed um, because we have so many ways to be superficial. Our technology gives us the power to be superficial in a way that people have never ever been so superficial. We are profoundly superficial uh, to throw out an oxymoron. So that's why, you know, the literary authors are, are often people who are very in touch with the spirit of their age. And that's why these Catholic authors addressed this problem. For instance, Walker Percy, his first book called The Moviegoer, it speaks about a man who's struggling to deal with everydayness. And his life is exceedingly boring for him. He, he can't find any meaning in the culture around him, um, and he's looking for answers. And by the end of the book, the, the hero ends up conquering the superficiality of his life by embracing two ordinary things. And these are the, precisely the two things that I'm, I'm pointing out that have the most meaning even though they are ordinary. He gets married, he commits himself to marriage, and he starts practicing again regularly his Catholic faith. So these two things are what are the right solution to this temptation of superficiality. Then Chesterton wrote a book called Man Alive, wherein the hero, uh, a man by the name of Innocent Smith, he goes to extreme lengths to help himself and others appreciate the everything, everyday things of life and even life itself. And if you read much Chesterton, you'll find that often he comes back to this theme. That Chesterton finds very, very deep meaning in absolutely everything. He has the wonder of a child looking at reality. He's able to see the, the depth of God behind everything. And this is, this is a great gift. And such a person will never fall victim to ordinariness. But Innocent Smith, when he finds people who thinks that life is meaningless, he proceeds to pretend that he's going to kill them. He points his gun at them. He, he's a very good marksman, and so he fires a few bullets that, that conveniently just miss the, the, the person. Um, and this has the effect of making these people understand that life is worth living. Um, in, in one episode, he causes, he's having this conversation with this Nicholas um, university professor, and the, the, the professor is explaining how you know, there, there's no meaning in everything, uh, life has no purpose, blah, 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 and that's when he gets out his gun, <laughs> and that's, that's when the professor <laughs> very quickly is pleading for his life. Um, he, he does very much want, want to live, and Innocent Smith is, is saying, well, luckily for you, I have um, uh, mercy on you, I'm, I'm going to go ahead because, uh, you know, <laughs> you're under this delusion that life has meaning. Um, well, so, so the, the, the professor uh, jumps out the window onto a gargoyle and Innocent Smith demands that b before he not shoot him, um, as a condition that he not shoot him, that he bless the ducks in the pond. And he blesses the ducks in the pond and he says, now you must bless the, the, the drakes in the pond as well. And then he goes on, You shall thank heaven for churches and chapels and villas and vulgar people in puddles, in pots, in pans, 
and sticks and rags and bones and spotted blinds. You must appreciate everything in reality. And the professor is willing to do this. After five minutes previously, he did not appreciate anything. Nothing for him had any meaning. Later in the book, Innocent Smith goes on this arduous journey where he travels around the world so that he can go back and finally come back to his home and find that his home is the most beautiful place in the world. It's the place that he loves the most. To reappreciate the value of his own home. There's another Catholic author, Flannery O'Connor. She has a short story that sort of resembles Chesterton's Man Alive in some respects. There's this uh, very superficial old woman who has very poor judgment, extremely superficial, as I say. And meanwhile, there's this mass murder going around, and he ends up shooting her to, to death. But in the moments before he shoots her, by the fact that she knows that she's getting ready to lose her life and she's, she's in fact caused her, her son and his family just to, to lose their life because of her indiscretion. Um, in the last moments of her life, she becomes much, much more profound than she's ever been in her life. And after shooting her, this mass murderer called the misfit, he says that she would have been a good woman if there was someone around to shoot her every minute of her life. So it's, it's the way of literature to portray extreme situations in order to teach us uh, an important truth. And God willing, when we're tempted by ordinariness to devalue the important things of our life, we will not need the assistance of a mass murderer to remind us of what is important. But these stories do illustrate that often we lose touch of what is most important because we're just lost in superficiality. And so I'm going to suggest some other remedies besides um, having a gun pointed at your head. Um, what should we do when we are weighed down by the daily grind? What should we do when it seems like our families and our lives and our religion are losing interest for us? There's two remedies available to us that, that I'm going to point out following Father Faber so that we can gain a new appreciation of the most important thing. So we can do this most important work of recalibrating our interest in the most important things in our lives. This, this process, that, as I say, has to take place over and over and over again. It's a duty that we have to our loved ones. It's a duty that we have to our God to find ways to re-motivate ourselves throughout our lives. The first remedy that Father Faber gives is actually slowness. We need to slow down. Superficial people are going too quickly. And we know that this is a characteristic of our modern life. We go too quickly. We're doing too many things. And when... You're, you're doing too many things. You consider yourself sitting in a train and you're just going by things. You can't appreciate the things that you're looking at. They're just moving too quickly. Perhaps there's, there's a, a very beautiful scene. Perhaps there's a butterfly um, landing on top of a, of a blade of grass. It's very profound, you know. And not, but you can't, you can't appreciate it because it just goes too quickly. 
You're living life at too fast a pace. So we need to slow down. Couples who are losing appreciation for one another, they need to spend more time with one another. They need to take time out and find a way for them to enjoy one another's presence once more. If they had to dine out seven days in a week in order to recalibrate this interest with one another, would that not be worth it? If they feel this appreciation for one another slipping away, or if they have to take an impromptu holiday or schedule another honeymoon, whatever, certainly I think it would be worth it. The same is true for our religion. If it's becoming distasteful, then we need to spend more time with it. We need to give it more time, quality time. Um, perhaps, again, we could go to Mass every day in a week. Perhaps we could go on a retreat. Perhaps we could do, uh, at least for one week, 30 minutes of spiritual reading a day. Or perhaps pray our rosary on our knees in a, in a recollected time of the day, right after we get up or, or whenever, in order to recalibrate this interest in our religion. The point of this strategy of slowness is to stop spending all of our emotional resources and our resources of time on superficial things and place the focus back on the ordinary things to do more of the ordinary and spend more time with the ordinary when we have this temptation. And in this line, I think um, meditation is extremely important. Reflection. If you find that your loved ones or religion are not as important as they used to be for you, you need to take time out and reflect on them in relation to the other things of your life. If you find the scale of values equalizing, then you need to do some thinking to put things back in their perspective. To say, okay, what do my marriage vows mean to me? What do my baptismal vows mean to me? What is my life about? Even if you just reflected 10 minutes a day in a week on these things, that would be valuable, extremely valuable. You have to give yourself reasons. You have to continually use your mind to give yourself reasons why certain things are the most important things in your life and other things are less important. This is what I'm talking about. The second remedy that that Father Faber gives is mortification. Um, He recognizes that superficiality is essentially a problem of indulgence of the flesh. Those who are looking for thrills are often um, attached in some way to pleasure. And so this attachment is corrected by mortification in our food, in our drink, in our sleep, or other bodily comforts. He says, Mortification is the shortest way out of monotony, as indeed it is always the shortest way to cheerfulness and supernatural joy. When you detach yourself from things of this earth, you find it much easier to appreciate the things of God, the spiritual things, the truly meaningful things in this life. So, my dear faithful, in the end, I would say that all of our lives, all of us here at Mass today, all of our lives are pretty ordinary. And we are all subject to this temptation. Even if if we were Hollywood stars, we would definitely be subject to this temptation. But 
the ordinary things of our life, especially our loved ones in our religion, are the richest and the most profound things in our life. And if we're getting tired of them because they're ordinary, then we are in a danger. And we have to recognize that danger, and we have to address that danger. We need to address the danger by taking time out to make a specific effort to appreciate them once more at their true worth. And if we do this, we will diffuse that bomb that is waiting to go off and destroy the most important things that we have. And I think we have a beautiful example of this in the life of Our Lady. If we consider that by far the vast majority of the life of Our Lady was a very, very ordinary life. Consider all the years of the hidden life of our Lord, just living in Nazareth, day in, day out, the daily routine. And then all those years that we, we, we don't often think about, the, the years that Our Lady had after the ascension of our Lord. Just there with St. John um, in, in Loretto, day after day, uh, the, the, the daily routine, leaving a very, very simple life. So if we have this temptation to... Uh, satisfy the monotony of our life by, by some sort of superficial thrills, let us turn to Our Lady and ask her to deepen our appreciation of the most important things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.